We are continuing um, last week's uh, topic, our subtopic, as we go through kind of the, the life of Christ and, and looking at the things that he did to, to influence people and, and make people want to listen to him. Uh, we started talking about one of the things that, that Christ seemed to always do is, is find a thing that he could restore. Uh, the scripture talks about him, uh, the, 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 the flax that was, or the, or the reed that was crushed, that he would, he would, try, to, that he would, he would try to mend it and try to repair something, uh, and, and how he does that. We saw last week, when, and we're going to, I mean, I, I suppose uh, there's going to be some similarities to last week, um, in that, that last week we kind of saw some physical things that, that he repaired and restored, and, and that allowed him, uh, we're going to see some more physical restoration, but, but we're going to look at a slightly different element of that. Uh, unfortunately, most most people in our world live kind of in a physical realm. That's where they they what what impacts people is what you can kind of do for them physically. Um, and and so if it's if they can't see it, they don't see a need for it. Uh, if or you know if, if it's not something material, well, then I don't really need it. Uh, it's not really that much of a value uh, to the world. So so. Unfortunately, that's that's one of the ways that we have to interact with people, and, and that Jesus was was a victim of that too. He he kind of had to be forced to interact with people on a physical means to to get them to to see spiritual things, and and there were some people that that never never went beyond that. Uh, and he said, yeah, well, I'm I'm going to have to go to people who are willing to look beyond that. And so so even Jesus uh, in in and every great ability that he had still had this human tendency to deal with. Um, even a perfect man can't overcome every person's weakness. Um, I want to talk about um, something we saw in, in, our, in our nature. Um, we talked about this soul and spirit and kind of some of these things... Uh, Last week, uh, we, we referenced, someone referenced uh, Hebrews 4. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4 for just a second. Hebrews chapter 4. I always get two verses mixed up, so I'm just kind of... I think it's verse 12, but it might be verse 16. So, we'll see when we get there. Yep. Verse 12, he says, The word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we, t- we kind of talked about this last week, where, where Christ and some of the things he did impacted the different elements of, of our Humanity and, and, and where does, you know, we talked about mental health. We talked about emotional, and, and there's this kind of crossover. Where, is, where are my emotions impacted more because of physical things or, or because of spiritual things? And, and it can be a, a whole bunch of things going on inside me at once that are, that are different uh, altogether. And, uh, we have this, this complex nature. Uh, and 
the, the scripture says it's able to divide kind of where that is, but uh, I am not the embodiment of scripture, so I do not have that capability. We just kind of have to do the best that we can. Uh, and, and so sometimes uh, it works the other way where physical things are, are, are the result of spiritual things. You can have, you can have a physical uh, type of an illness right, that is the response uh, you, you typically think of, well, the, it would go the other way, but, but sometimes it go, it just we are complex creatures. God knit us together in the womb, and he, he made us this fascinating thing, and how he divides that up, and how we, how we respond to things going on in our world, spiritual and physical, and sometimes spiritual things affect us physically, and sometimes physical things affect, affect us spiritually and emotionally. We are... So complex with that I want to uh, look at two incidents, two events this week where Jesus restores using some physical things, kind of going backwards maybe a little bit, but using physical elements to restore some spiritual things. So they are physical in, in nature. John chapter 11 is where we're going to start. John chapter 11 and this is an event that has so much application. We've referred to it uh, before. Uh, and we're going to pull some things out that are maybe not where our attention uh, is drawn to. But John chapter 11. There's the story of Lazarus. A certain man, verse 1 beginning, was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town of, uh, which was the town of Mary, and Martha, uh, her sister Martha, and it was the same Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus heard that, and he said, This sickness is not to death, but the glory of the Lord that the Son of God might be glorified to it, through, it, through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after that, he said to the disciples, we need to go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews have been seeking to stone you recently. You're going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day... Uh, then he does not stumble because he sees the light. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And he said these things and said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. That I might, but I go so to, to wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. However, Jesus was speaking of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about resting in sleep. And Jesus said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you can believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And so Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, We should go, and we'll die with him. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Mar Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to 
Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you want, whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to you, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, well, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And whoever lives because of me will never die. Do you believe that? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she said these things, she went away. And she secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teachers come is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha had met him. So the Jews who were in her house and those comforting when they saw Mary get up, followed her, saying, She's going to go to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and those who came with her weeping, he groaned in spirit and he was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And so Jesus wept. And the Jews said, Oh, see how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus again groaned in himself. And he came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say that you would believe, and you would see the glory of God? When they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Oh, our attention could be drawn all sorts of places. A long text. We are certainly drawn to the miracle. Um, we're drawn to just how amazing this was. Okay, the things that Jesus does here, we, we, I mean, it's amazing enough to, to raise somebody from the dead. That, that really, that's enough. But, but to think this guy had been sick for some time, uh, something caused his death. When we think of the miracles of raising somebody from the dead, we don't think... Well, Jesus has to undo whatever caused the death, otherwise he's going to rise and like, hey, and he's going to die again. So, so Jesus has to fix the cause of death. Whatever that was. Now, he's got to undo a lot of things. Uh, there's, uh, we have forensics, right? We can determine the date of death. Why? Because there's a rate of decay. There's, with this time that we say, oh, this has been four hours. So many things are happening to the body as it's trying to get back to its natural state before God put life in it. And so God has to, Christ has to undo all of that process to get it back. There's, there's bacteria that is toxic to life. It will not allow life to continue. He's got to undo that. All the, the cell decay that won't prevent, that, that won't allow life to continue. Everything that's happened for the last four days, Christ has to undo in a moment so that, so that Lazarus can walk out of this tomb. We really don't take into account how many things 
Christ does in a miracle. We just think, oh, he did a miracle. But Christ is actually doing so many, many, many things. Only a creator can recreate. Say. Only someone who could know. You know, this is not, you know, hook up something to, to and channel lightning down and, ah, oh, my creation's alive. You know, it's a, it's a lot more complex than that. And only a creator could figure out what needs to be done to make this thing able to carry life in it again. And our attention, I think, is sometimes drawn to that amazingness. That, that he came out of the tomb and didn't even have an odor. That's amazing. Our, our attention could be drawn to his compassion. That is something that he didn't say. There, there is doctrine in here. We talk about the resurrection and we can talk about a lot of things. But I want to look at a different perspective here. I want to look at this uh, from Lazarus' point of view for just a moment. Lazarus' point of view is the weirdest point of view. And he's the main character. I mean, other than Jesus, he's the, kind of the main character. We, we, we get wrapped up in, in Mary and, and, and Martha. And they are supporting cast in this play. Lazarus is the one being raised. Now we have very few details. Ironically, I don't know, coincidentally, ironic is the wrong word. We have a lot of details, or some details, about the resurrection from a different guy named Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus, uh, who, who died. Um, so, chronologically, that can't be this Lazarus, because this Lazarus would still have been alive when Jesus told the story about the dead Lazarus and the rich man. We know that it's not a parable. Jesus didn't use names when he gave parables. That was an actual event. A man named Lazarus was poor and died. Then he was in a place referred to as paradise or Abraham's bosom. That's got a lot of names. And we don't know a lot of details about this place, but we do know that from, from that story that Jesus tells that you definitely get a sense of how judgments go. The judgment hasn't happened, but you kind of know how the court is leaning. <laughs> right? There are some leaks from the court. And, uh, and, and you kind of get an idea of, of how the thing is going to go. And there's a pleasant side and there's a not pleasant side. The rich man was in a not pleasant side. Now I don't know if it's Less severe than what you're going to get. Not a lot of really specific details. But I know this. God pulls Lazarus out of there. You think about that from Lazarus' point of view. We, we always look at this from Mary and Martha's point of view. Why? Because we're here. And so we understand what it's like to be here and to feel the sadness of being here. Lazarus was in the better place. Now, I don't know what time works like out 
four days, three days, a million years. I don't know what this felt like to him, where time doesn't exist. But you're there, and all of a sudden, you're, what am I doing here? What is this stuff? Lazarus' life got significantly worse for this miracle. Well, think about that. What? I wouldn't touch that. Just all of the stuff that I didn't have to deal with, I have to deal with again. Think about that. This miracle is not a nice miracle for Lazarus. It's a great miracle for Mary and Martha. But it stinks to be Lazarus. Why did he do it? You see, we are a little selfish in our desires. Paul said in Philippians, I desire to go and, and be with God. That is way, 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 way better. However, to be here, to remain with you is necessary for you. And so he said, I'm torn between the two. I really don't want to be here. I'm kind of tired of this thing. But I, I know it's, it's better for you if I stay. Not that he had a say in the matter. Jesus does something. He restores something significant. He restores relationships. And, and maybe this relationship was necessary. The family is back together. Maybe, maybe Mary and Martha really, really needed that. And maybe Lazarus can wait, you know, a, a couple of years or I don't know. But I don't know if he remembered what it was like. I knew a guy. I knew a guy that technically died twice. Uh, his name is Burton Barber. Uh, he was the guy that started, or one of the guys that started the Bible college. He, in 1989 or 1990, had a major heart attack. And he was... His heart stopped beating for a significant period of time, and then again, either on the way or at the hospital, again. So he died like twice. I don't know if he was like enough time there to 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 uh, see bright lights. He never talked about bright lights. I say he never talked about bright lights because he died in 1996. I was at his memorial. <laughs> How did he die in 1996 if he died twice in 1990? Because it came back to life. They revived him somehow, and he lived another six years and actually died in a car accident. I mean, the guy was tough to bring down. He never talked about bright lights. I don't, I don't know if he saw that or if, you know, what the time frame is, how that works. Or, but it's not really important. God says, you got, you got a couple more years left. You got some more stuff to do. We think about relationships today, don't we? Kind of a day dedicated to a relationship, to family. Oh, one particular member of the family. But relationships are important. And in doing this, oh, Lazarus was inconvenienced, but he'll get there again. He'll be with Bert and Barber. He's got to wait a few years. Maybe they'll both talk about 
the time where they almost, I was almost there. I want to read a passage from Luke chapter 1. It's about John the Baptist. Because I can't do miracles. But I certainly can't do amazing things like this. As I say, it takes a creator to recreate. Luke chapter 1, verse 16. Beginning on that page. Let's back up. He says, uh, he's talking about John the Baptist. He says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children in Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, the sister passage to this is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. Relationships. Restoring relationships was the purpose of John the Baptist. Doing something that we can do. I can't do it in a miraculous way. It's interesting he doesn't say turning the hearts of the mothers back. You notice that? He doesn't say turning the hearts of the mothers to the children. Why doesn't he say that? Isn't that interesting? The mother's hearts are almost always on the children. They instinctively come that way. In societies that have gone astray, it is the hearts of the fathers that have gone astray. Almost exclusively. And it is the children who suffer when the hearts of the fathers when the hearts of the fathers are astray. The hearts of the children are misdirected. And societal decay begins. And we live in a world right now where the hearts of the children are astray because the hearts of fathers out there. I uh, volunteered for, I went through the training, COVID hit and just nothing's happened since, but uh, went through training uh, to to do some mentoring with with um, big brothers and big sisters, they said that you know one of the problems was is that there's plenty of the girls have no problem finding a mentor. Women go and mentor, and you're a girl, you just you you find a match right away, and because there's so many women that will mentor little girls, finding guys to mentor. It's just hard. And so there's this waiting line if you're a little boy somewhere <laughs> that needs a mentor. Why? Because hearts of, hearts of men. We're in an age where hearts of men are fickle. We know how to make the kids. We don't know how to raise the kids. 
It's a sad thing. We as a church need to look at how we can turn hearts of fathers back to children and hearts of children back to the fathers. Restoring relationships. We do things with healing hearts. Repairing relationships. Mentoring. Those types of opportunities. All sorts of things that we can do. I can't do it miraculously. But I can do it. You know, I, I read John the Baptist didn't ever do miracles that I read. But he still repaired relationships without the ability to do miracles. And he was a man that was considered to be powerful. People went a long distance to see that guy who did no miracles. And people will come a long way to be a part of a church that restores miracles. Or, or excuse me, restores relationships without miracles. I want to turn to the second passage that I want to look at, restoration. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold... Can you turn me down just a little bit? Thanks. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man, Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. And he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because of the crowd. For he was of short stature, and so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And he was going to pass that way. It is very hard to read this and not sing this. I'm sorry about that. Um, And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus. Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And so he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said uh, to the Lord, Look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. No miracle done here, other than uh, people getting back some extra tax dollars. That's kind of a miracle. You know, the IRS agent shows up at your door and says, you paid too much. That, that is kind of a miracle. There is no great teaching here that I know. I mean, I'm sure at the house there was some great teaching, but, but we don't know what that is. This man is one of the few people to get an alone conversation. But our attention is drawn to those details. His height, right? why, why he did all this. We, we always talk about this and talk about his occupation, talk about the cheating that went on. He specifically says here, false accusation. It would be, uh, by false accusation, it would be kind of like uh, we estimate your house to be worth this, is it? So you're in a higher tax bracket. That kind of false accusation is what's happening. 
accused of having more. We think you have more than you have. You're not telling us, so we're just going to tax you on what we think you have. And, and that was done so that you could skim off the top. So, so that you could, you could kind of... And, and Rome, as long as they got their share, they didn't care. Like, oh yeah, you, you can take a little extra for, for just to make sure that we get ours. That's all we care. And so we could focus on that and look at those details, which are all details and they're all important. We think about the downtrodden of society. A lot of things in this passage, this is much like the previous one, there are a lot of things happening. But there are two elements of restoration that I want to look at. First of all is the restoration of a man's self-worth. Now, I don't know what happened to the man that made him have low self-worth, where he was willing to take this job, which tended to be, uh, as you can see, the effects that it has on your, your fellow Jewish people. It was not a popular job to have. If you had it, it was likely a reason you took it, beyond just the financial benefits. It's a good way to get back at somebody, maybe. Maybe a person that doesn't have a whole lot of self-worth. Maybe a person that's been kind of in the periphery of society for some time. But whatever the case is, he doesn't have a lot of self-value. He seems to have a work ethic issue. When he says, if I've defrauded somebody, it's not like if like there's a possibility that he really hasn't. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I, yeah, I've done it. Those who I've done it to, I'll pay them back. There's a work ethic issue. He's not going to go and search the books just to make sure that it's not all up to, to, to snuff. He's acknowledging that there's been fraud. There is, a, I think, a natural guilt that plagues most people who engage in anything. Oh, people are really good at ignoring it. They don't seem guilty at all. No, they don't seem guilty. But tell me why Al Capone, a man you would think was hardened beyond anything, gave so much money to children's hospitals. Natural guilt, that's why. Trying to make up for guilt. I, I think most people just live acknowledging the burden that comes with guilt. We just get acclimated to the guilt that we walk around with. And if, if they could but know for only a moment or two what it is to, to not have that guilt, they would go, wow, I didn't know I was carrying that. And I think this moment, this moment here with Christ at his house is just a, a brief moment where he can go, wow, that's what that's like. To, to be with Christ, you mean I could have that all the time? Yeah, but something's going to have to change. Because Christ is going to walk out that door 
And all that burden is going to come, and he's going to feel the full weight of it. And I think he recognizes it and says, I don't want any part of that. And so Christ restores his, his self-worth, and gives him a promise of some peace of mind. And that is worth so much more than any extra dollars he was going to get. And he restores them to society. That's another thing. You, 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 you see, now I'm not saying that everybody, there's some people, it doesn't make a difference what you do from that moment on, they're just never going to forget what you did. You can't help those people. But there are a lot of people that go, you know who that person was? Really? And there's a lot of people like that. You go, wow, I would have never thought that. That you can restore a person to society. We have that ability. Without being able to do with the things that Jesus did, we have the ability to restore people. To being functional people in society. People largely live the lives they live because of their own decisions. That is true. I'm, I'm not saying that, that, you know, if you were raised really super poor, that, that that's not something you did, that's not your own decision. And some people live with those consequences and live with, with the effects of that. But once you reach a certain age, a lot of the things that, that happen to you are a result of the decisions you make from that point on. And society does what society around Zacchaeus did. They, they're good at pointing out blame. So that man brings everything on himself. He deserves everything he gets. Yes, that is true. It's a true story. So that's one level. Natural society points out the blame. If you go up a little bit, just a step up from there, You look for root causes. Well, this is why. And, and, and we can do that. Just beyond the blame, we can say, well, well, they need to do this, this, and this. But the highest, the highest, what we can be, it, 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 above assigning blame and, and then above even critiquing is solutions. Okay, so they've done this and they've got this and they deserve this and they're just awful people. Okay, now what? What is the solution? People who just offer critiques don't have solutions, don't offer solutions. This is a person in a condition. What can I do beyond criticizing the dumb decisions that they made that have brought them here? Restoration. It's about seeing what can be done for restoration. They may be a person who's done really dumb things. Guess what? Stand in line. 
But restoration to society requires something beyond blame and analysis. Analysis is wonderful. Analysis, there's a point for analysis. Analysis is good after the effect. Okay, let's stay away from these decisions. Okay, there's analysis. It's good at that point. But it doesn't offer me how to restore myself now. What is the solution? But in order to do that, in order to get to that point, I'm going to have to do what Jesus did, and I'm going to have to get personally involved. Because Zacchaeus isn't listening to a solution until Jesus walks in his door and sits down and eats with them. There's two people and one of them offering respect to another person as a human being. It's all about relationships. This is the spiritual side of restoration. Everything is about relationships. And that's that's how we restore people.